Thank you for downloading the Scottish Football Monitor podcast. If you like the TSFM podcast, please visit our website at www.tsfm.org.uk and participate in the discussion on our great love, Scottish football. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Hello and welcome to the first TSFM podcast. First though, let me tell you a bit about the Scottish Football Monitor. TSFM began in 2012 at a time of crisis in international sport. Fans felt that the rules had been deliberately disregarded by the authorities for the benefit of interest groups, namely those with money. They also felt that those interest groups had, through PR machines, taken control of and destroyed the independence of much of the Scottish media. Favours were granted for favourable coverage and a refusal to ask difficult questions. Through an online pool of legal and business expertise, coupled with writing talent, TSFM began to reach an ever wider audience with an alternative viewpoint to the money interests in the game. And in fact, as part of a wider online fan base, have been able to some extent to inform fans who have then begun to hold their clubs accountable. Our podcast is another step in the process of getting that alternative viewpoint out there. Our aim is to bring people together in a non-partisan way and to put the questions the media almost never ask into the public domain. TSFM is a friendly, comradely, interesting and fun way to talk about the game we love. In this podcast, a prominent TSFM contributor, Altied, talks to one of the TSFM moderators, Big Pink. Altied has been long embroiled in the legalities and anomalies surrounding the rules and regulations of the SFA, the SPL and the SPFL. He has contributed forensic analysis of those rules and highlighted where the authorities have fallen down on upholding their own rules to the detriment of most of their member clubs. He's also taken a wider viewpoint which takes the focus away from clubs who have been accused of breaking rules, instead casting a light onto those whose maladministration of the game has allowed such breaches to take place without sanction. Since this is the first podcast, there's no specific agenda. A wide-ranging discussion between two who tend to talk a bit. So let's get started. Alti, the, the Ranger story is still very much the, the big story. It's, it's all over our blog. And I know people think that we're all obsessed about it. But in actual fact, the, the real story isn't about Rangers anymore, is it? Well, I don't think it's about Rangers, at, you know, not now anyway, because as you say, that, that story is moving on, on to an extent. It seems to me that um, what we really need to be doing is asking the questions, how did it get to this, this state? How did Scottish football end up in this position? Um, and what... What bothers me is, is I don't see anybody actually looking at the whole thing and try to analyse it to work out, one, what happened, and two, what we can do to prevent it. I think there's a hell of a lot of lessons to be learned for this. But I don't see anybody, I don't see in the media or any people raising the question and saying, how did we get here? Who's responsible? And I don't mean who's responsible in the sense of hanging them. Mm. I just mean some people must have taken decisions that were wrong. Are they willing to admit that they took decisions that are wrong? Are they willing to admit to the consequences? Are they willing to even take part in putting it right? That's the point, is that we have to move, you know, if we have to move on, we have to recognise what went wrong first. Is it not also the case, though, that... <clears throat> I mean, I think that most people in, in Scottish Football Monitor probably have got their own ideas, and there's a, there is a fair consensus about what has gone wrong. I think that, though, that where there might not be a consensus is, you know, what do you do about it? You know, I mean, like, lessons... Uh, I don't know if they are being learned. Uh, Certainly, um, they don't appear to be learned by the people in authority at the moment, certainly not by the press. But 
I think what I don't, I don't know if we there's a consensus about what you do about it about how you, how you deal with the well, situation. I don't think there's a consensus, but I think the model for what we do about it's been sitting there. In fact, I think that's the very fact that it was introduced by football at large for Europe is because they foresaw the difficulties that the fair play stuff you financial about. play yeah. was causing. Yeah. You know, the financial fair play, and the line and I wrote this about three years ago in one of the blogs was is that what, what needs to happen there is is to adapt that UEFA FFP. Now, it's the funny thing about that is, is the, the top-level clubs, up to last year anyway, it was the top-level clubs, the standard was UFFP, but that was just, they had to pass that standard to get into Europe. They didn't have to, if you like, pass that standard to play in Scottish football. And when you look at break-even requirements, the scale of the money is outside of Scottish football. But I think we should descale UFFP and look at the principles that are there, because they're all about sustainable football. And what we obviously didn't have in Scotland was sustainable football, because it had been sustainable. Rangers would still be there. And not only that, you need to have somebody who checks that you're keeping your finances in order. Because one of the things that, that my analysis is, is an awful lot of the rules that are written, they were written on the basis that clubs would play the game. And it's a funny thing about football, it's Andy Walker, it's okay to go down the box and make the referee make a decision. Well, maybe I, maybe not, because... If it's a big decision that can turn everything and you take the equivalent of going down in the box, you know, and everybody knows it's just at the edge of honesty or dishonesty. But if you actually approach the rules in that same basis and you go over, you know, you go over the score and you end up getting decisions in your, you know, in your, your favour or, the, or the, the, the overall attitude in the game is that's okay to do that. Then eventually you walk away from the very thing that protects the integrity of the game. And it's I think it's a thing about football because the people who run it are got them come from it, they actually apply the games play attitude to the business side of it. But the business side actually needs to be seen as a business. Yeah, to, to me that there's a real paradox there because you, you're right. I mean, I think people who get involved in football, they sometimes, you know, they, they, they forget all the rules of business when they go into football yeah, at yeah, first. Yeah. They'll, they'll tell you that business rules, that their business rules need to apply whenever you, whenever you talk about integrity. Well, well they do, but, but it was interesting that because one of the things that Walter Smith said fairly recently when he was asked the question was about, you, you know, Rangers supporters expected us to, put, to, to, to run the club the way we ran it. Yeah. You know, and what we really have to do is to re-educate people. You see, you can't run football clubs like that because they, they are so business-oriented is that even the biggest of clubs can end up going belly up. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happened. And that reality is, you know, not is knocking at their door. And I think that people are still trying to pretend that that never happened, that we can resurrect that reality, we can back to a model that failed and just keep carry on as if, you know, nothing had, nothing had actually happened before. I think it might even be more serious than that, because even if you look at the, the, the English Premiership, which in the face of it is very yeah. healthy, uh, there, there's a single point of failure there which is absolutely catastrophic, because the minute the Sky money is pulled uh, for English football, the whole house of cars just collapses. And I think in some way that that whole... Uh, 1985 Sky thing has, has contaminated Scottish football. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to, to, to me, that's one of the one of in the biggest first factors. Broadcast. Play is the very fact that all that cash is going, is going down there. Does it not call into question then the the the, uh, the status of football as a sport in itself? You know, I mean, you know, the the blurring the lines of sport and entertainment. I think it it does call it the lines, but at the moment, what we're used to is football as a sport. You know, I can remember watching the Harlem Globetrotters on the television, yeah. and I loved watching them. Mm. But you knew it wasn't a sport. You knew it was fun. 
Yeah. If you want to approach it like that, then people's attitude would have to change towards it. I noticed now that when, when Celtic play, it's been okay at the moment because we're in a great run. But if they don't win, I'm not as bothered as I would have been had they not won in the days when there was two teams vying for it. Yeah. Because you knew that the points dropped. And here was the point. You knew that if you drop points and your opposition didn't drop points, that could cost you the league. Yeah. And that put a whole edge in everything. And that also meant if you thought they were not playing the game by the rules and then more evidence came out that they weren't quite playing it by the rules, then that really upset the emotional level. So maybe, maybe what happens is football becomes less of an emotional thing and becomes an entertainment. Yeah. And people just accept it like that. A friend of mine said to me several months ago that I think that fundamentally that, that what you have to look at is what do you want your club to be doing? What, what's, what's it for, in other aye, words? Aye. But you're both as a Celtic fans and that's probably doesn't augur well for an inaugural TSFM. But the thing is, no, nor am I. But the thing is that I kind of think I know what I want Celtic to be. And honestly, and I know this sounds a wee bit like the caricature of the uh, the, the half-educated aye, Celtic aye, supporter aye, that aye. you sometimes get in comedy programmes and telly, but I just want to see the team playing. It's great if they win. It's sometimes a wee bit disappointing if they lose, but aye. at the end of the day, to employ another football club, it's just about having a team that okay. represents your community, somebody you can, can something you can identify with. with. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that do, does your team need to win? Because if your team needs to win all the time, then that probably would exclude almost everybody except for Celtic or Rangers supporters in Scotland because they, they their teams very, very seldom win anything. That, so you're invalidating their status as football fans. It's, it's not just that. The, the other problem you have as well is, is the, the nature of football is, it, the, where it's different from normal business is it's interdependent. Mm-hmm. In a normal business, you get two companies selling washing machines, whatever yeah. you like. If one company comes up with a Dyson that beats everybody, you know, can beat everything else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the other company's got a business. The customers then all join Dyson, buy Dysons, and he gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And football, you know, if you do that and the opposition go to business, who do you play? Exactly. And that... that well, I think the answer for, for, for Celtic Rangers over the past 20 years right. has been you go to England. Because let's be honest, Celtic and Rangers have been very, very guilty of looking towards England as being their salvation oh, yeah. forgetting about the, the general health of Scottish football although curiously I, I know a lot of people certainly in the press uh, who've got the view that had Celtic Rangers gone to England Aye. 10 or 15 years ago Aye. that the Scottish game would have been a very healthy place for no, them I, I hold that view and I, 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 I absolutely the view I hold I remember I used to get really annoyed at you and come on to these Clyde and we talk about Celtic Rangers going about to the Scottish game and I thought it would prosper you would get you would get much bigger crowds at all mm-hmm. the other grounds. They don't have the same pressure on them to be the top dog. They, they're not faced with the, the pressures yeah. that the, the, the Celtic Rangers were faced with. And I couldn't see anything but good coming out of it. And I think in some ways the evidence of that is there this year this and, and, and last season. Look as well. at the crowds. Aberdeen's crowds yeah. are up. Hibs crowds are up. And you know, and that's only that's, because they got a chance of being second. Just because yeah. they got a chance of being second. Yeah. What would happen if there's a chance of being first? I just want Celtic to prosper. I don't want me to prosper at anybody else's expense. Mm. I just want me to prosper in a sort of fair, you know, fair environment. But but how do you, how do you get that? I mean, how do you get everybody singing for that same hymn sheet that here's what we want our club to do, and it's about serving a community? Does that sound a bit too no. woolly and liberal? I think it's a debate that should. I think it's a debate that should be taking place now. The supporters direct folk, I know, and I read something the other day, but they've been talking to some Rangers supporters about you know how they could set up yeah. their own club. 
Hearts, I think, are moving that direction. Mm. Mother will move that way. Yeah. So there is a definite move in Scotland just because of the sort of size of the country and the, the, you know, the football history. And the, and the, I think the smaller the, the club, community. the easier that is as well. Because because the bigger the club, the, the more diverse the support, there's Aye. competing interests. And I think I know the Rangers fans tried that about four or five years ago. Yeah. They they'd actually got to the stage of having public meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, there was a guy who, who used to be involved with Celtic who, who tried to advise them, but because he was involved, they, that caused a wee bit of dissent yeah, and, and, and things like that. But if you've got a, a geographically community-based yeah, club, yeah, yeah. I think it might be a bit easier to do that. I mean, I know the Samaritan people were trying to do that well, last year. I, I think that's that's part of it. That is part of it. I think there has to be a recognition of the sort of various levels of, you know, where, where clubs are and try to slot them in, which still keeps the sporting element there mm-hmm. um, and keeps that important, but doesn't spoil the, the, you know, the integrity of the thing. But uh, an awful lot of that, what it boils down to is, an awful lot of people have to let go of the notions that they've held because they've grown up with them and start saying, things aren't like that anymore. Mm-hmm. We, we, we know now the game's interdependent, we know that the geographical ties were broken by television, yeah. the money goes out, the, you know, they used to come in through the gates... Is you know is not enough, but there's more money that we can't give our hands on, um, and I think that that debate has to also be taking place, and it must be taking place at European levels as well. And that's when he talks about European leagues and things like that. Um, but I think you have to go back to the sustainability element, and I think that football just has to recognise that it's different business that it's interdependent, but that makes it even more important that you run yourself in proper business lines. Well, that's the thing as well, is, is that sometimes it may be that Scottish football has got an, an idea, a wee bit of a deluded idea of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, but I know that when I was a kid, you know, Scotland could compete. Uh, surprised to be beaten by yeah. like Germany, for mm-hmm. God's sake. You know, and you right. now we'd be lucky to live in the same park as Germany. Mm-hmm. The thing is that Scottish football had this, this idea that we were a top nation. And I, I, I wonder sometimes if this thing that we have to be able to compete in Europe is is helping. We we can't complete compete with with the, with the top clubs in Europe. So therefore, is it necessary for us to to say that Europe's a priority, or is it necessary, or is it more well, important to say well, let let's fix things here? Well, I think again, it's not so much playing in Europe in order to compete, if you like, at the top level. I'm not, I'm not meaning in the sense of Champions League and the money that that brings in, because my view is, is like television has ruined the game in Scotland. The Champions League is a, is, is the reason why Rangers don't exist in their previous form. You know, they're not the, the, yeah. the, the team that they were. Because one of the two clubs, if, you, if it was operated in business lines, so the two clubs were vying against each other to be top dog. As it so happened, Celtic won. And the price of Celtic winning was no having, you know, you know, no having a proper set of competitive opposition to play against, yeah. and that's through, you know, totally throwing the game. So I think there's there's two things there, which is to help the level in Scotland rise a bit. But what you don't want, I don't want, is for this level at Celtic's at to drop, and the the clubs that get to that level, they should be able to play against teams of similar sort of quality, mm-hmm. wherever they are. Transport means that if you're in Europe, transport means that everybody's near enough to each other. Television means that everybody can see the games anyway. So what you're probably just simply talking about is saying, right, you set up a couple of European leagues by a number of divisions which are based solely on, if you like, size of population mm-hmm. of the clubs, transport links, that kind of thing, and that forms division. You know, that forms the divisions. Who's in Division 1? The teams play each other and the best of those teams rise to the top and the ones that aren't so good. And below that, you've got regionals and clubs for the regional areas 
can vie to get into that top division if they choose to go there. They might think, no, we're quite happy being a community club that's, that's at that level. We'll be the best at that in that category, in that stance. But again, the players that play at that level will learn a trade there, work their way up, and their aim will be to play in the top European level as well. You know? Well, see, that's why I asked you the question about... <laughs> because I, I wondered whether you meant you, you have to let go of this uh, ambition. And it refers a wee bit to some of the noises coming out of Celtic Park over the last couple of years when yeah. people have been talking about a bit more equitable gate-sharing. Aye, aye. And that you know that, that Celtic will say, oh, we need that money so we can compete in Europe. Yeah. Do we need to com- compete in Europe? And, and, and let's face it, no matter what formula... That you that you manage to work out, right. there has to be some more equitable uh, distribution of the money in Scottish football. As you say, but we are interdependent now. I mean, I'm, my cards are on the table here as well. I'm a Celtic fan, and it's nice to see Celtic doing really well. Right. But um, I would rather we were playing the Aberdeens of the '80s or, or the Hearts of the '60s or the Dundee's of the right. '60s. Right. Teams right. where you you walked up to the game, you did not know what the score was no, going to be. No, no. But for the last. Uh, certainly within the last decade and a half at least there was never any real doubt that if you went along to a game at Celtic Park or Ibrox that the home team were going to win Only you get the odd upset but I don't think that's good for the game in itself No neither do I because I mean studies show that that if the competitive element is there that's what draws the the clouds in although fun enough again I was reading something in Germany the Bayern apparently are a number of points away in front of everybody else but the crowds are still thriving Mm -hmm. you see that's another point everybody will say to you in Germany your ticket prices are only a tenner for a game and that's another balance that has to be redressed because I think football players do get overpaid and a lot of the money goes into clubs and people say the money goes to where does it go it goes to putting a team in the park by and large, you know, putting mm-hmm. the team in part and supporting the team in the part with everything else that goes on about that. But that's the core business of the club. It's, you know, it's football. That's what attracts people, brings it in. And to me, it's just like, it's it's like, it's the the, the, the board and, and the administration and everything. They're just a conduit to take the money for the fans to put in players' pockets to entertain the fans, mm-hmm. you know. And it's how well that is done and the, the people in the middle are get the job of picking the players and identifying the players that will entertain the fans. Um, but I think that, and even the players themselves, as they start to find, maybe no, that once you reach the Celtic level, but the guys doing the pit of the pile a bit who are maybe not out of job now because clubs are having to cut back. Yeah. I think there has to be an element of social responsibility amongst them. If you take out what's happened in the past couple of years, well, it's been happening for several years, but if you take out what's become evident in the past couple of years, the problem is that Scottish football has been in decline for a long, long number of years. The SFA, the the league structure that they existed up until this season, they haven't really done anything about bringing that to an end. That decline. I mean, I remember there were there were great there was great talk. I remember they brought in the Dutch guy was it Michels, and uh, he was going to transform the coaching structure of yeah, Scottish yeah. football. We were going to bring on more homegrown players. Mm-hmm. But the reality of the, the post Sky situation in particular yeah. is that the homegrown players don't get a, don't get a look in. No, we're bringing in people. I honestly, don't think necessarily always better players. Or, from overseas I mean possibly in some cases I mean there are obvious cases like Henrik Larson Brian Loudrup and, and so on and so forth where you had real stars yeah. for overseas but yeah. by large there's a lot of ordinary players come from overseas as well and the SFA have just sat back and watched that yeah. well I mean when it, when it, when it comes to sort of, if you like, like development you, you do wonder when you, you I mean Celtic seem to be seem to have made the decision at some point in the last few years that the best chance they've got are developing players who will become first team players at Celtic Park are folk from overseas. Yeah. 
you know. Now, whether they bring him in to actually play like Izagiri, you know, great find, and bring him in and straight into the team, yeah. or whether they're looking, if you like, Izagiri's wee brother mm. to put into the, the development squad in the hope that he'll come through as well. They do tend to be looking that direction. And what I wonder as well is, something that came up last night, and I was thinking back to the teacher strike, that's when the yep. teachers stopped taking kids in the morning. Mm. And then the other thing that came in was that clubs don't like their protégés to be taken by the schools because they'll be miscoached. Yep. There's no substitute for playing football. I played football morning, noon and night. In the summer, I loved it. I went out in the morning and I, was, I played football. It was tea time. I came yep. home from my tea and I was back at six and I was back at 11. <laughs> Funny, I, I remember having a, a conversation with the late Tommy Burns. Time he was still the assistant manager of Scotland. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the decline in the Scottish international team over yeah. the years. He said to me, Can you tell me how, how many hours a, a week did you play football when you were a kid? And then. Uh, the summer holidays it was it was maybe eight or nine hours a day he says that our kids uh, here and that was at Celtic Park at the time um, he says they don't get that a week with a ball at their feet no, and I, much less than I that, think yeah. that's the thing because you develop your first touch playing in cobble streets you develop it playing in waste grounds but you never know which direction the ball's going to go and doing that constantly Doing it actually in a game when it's no work, it's no like you know, it's no homework, it's no hard work. You're running about daft yeah. and you're you're doing it unconsciously almost. You don't actually realise you're developing those skills. Well, clubs are looking at it abroad, and, and the other thing as well is because football certainly, if you if you use the English sort of league as your, as your models, they're all big lads, and it tends to be that when you come out and you're playing against a team that's big and strong, you've got to be really skillful to get the better of them. Um, so it seems to me that we're looking for more stronger athletic players. And uh, I can always remember my night Scottish team coming out against Belgium. I mean, it was 70s it was, whenever. Gordon Strachan was playing for Scotland. And I looked to it and I thought, geez, some of your guys hardly reach up to their waists. Just the yeah. difference in athletic, athletic size. So as a nation, they don't, they, they don't strike me as being particularly tall. Of course, the the, the, the great era of Scottish football, which was uh, which was probably between the fifties and the seventies. Right. I think probably the the best part of the uh, the history of the game for us. Anyway, right. the players that you remember were were, were wee guys. You know, oh, Brenner, right. Johnson, Henderson, yeah. Willie yeah. Johnson, yeah. great ball players, guys who who were exciting to watch, right. but. Strangely, the, this idea of the, the wee Scotsman, that, that only came in uh, after the Highland Clearances because when, when, when Scotland was kind of rural, uh, guys were much taller. You know, the uh, Barrett Burn, which is we're celebrating what, the 700th, 700th, 800th anniversary Aye. this year. That's right. And, and, and that, those guys apparently uh, there were, would have been a bit taller in average than we are just now. Aye. But it was when everybody moved to the cities that uh, that people started getting smaller because oh, right. of, you know like food shortage. Exactly. Was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's an aside. Scottish football monitors trying, I suppose, to some extent, to throw a, a wee bit of focus on a lot of the things that's going on in the game. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, the Rangers fans think that uh, it's anti Rangers, and I can kind of understand why. Celtic supporters that keep making noises. So yeah, I can appreciate that. It's not just Celtic supporters, though, is it? Oh, you no, know? No. But, have, but having said that, I do understand. I think if it was if my team, uh, my club, had been in a situation that Rangers have been in over the past couple of years, I would like to think that I would be, I would be less, I would have less of a victim mentality. But I don't, right. I don't know that I would. No, I, I think that's, that's absolutely... I mean, I'm, I'm a great believer in the sense that, you know, you can tell you walk in the shoes of another man, you know, sort of moccasins you don't really know. So I, I prefer... I'd rather just you know, sort of say, I definitely... I would never react like that. 
because um, you don't know how you're going to react to something until it actually happens to you. But isn't it also true to say that some people call it the death of a club, other people just call it somebody a club being very sick, but either way, it's gone on for an interminable amount of time, and the authorities have sat back and done very, very little to, to stop it. Now, I think the one thing that, that Rangers fans agree with most of the people who are on the Scottish Football Monitor yeah. is that the SFA have screwed up big time. Oh, I, I, I don't think there's any doubt. And I always want to say, on the other hand, or to be fair, but I don't really feel that I can be that fair with the SFA because I, I, I haven't seen any signs of leadership whatsoever from them. There's just silence. As I say, they might be looking at where are we going wrong, but I don't see them coming out and saying, yeah. look, we've had a look, and this is where we're going wrong, this is what we're doing about They're it. They're frightened for the, for the backlash from whatever well, the area well, it comes from, aren't they? Actually, and, and that's another thing. What leadership requires is, 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 is an absence of fear. Yeah. It's fault to actually say, hang on a minute, I'm just going to have to, I think this is the right thing to do or say, and I'm going to say it. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not going to be popular, but I think if it's for the long term, I'm good to everybody. I think it's better to say it now than I let it carry on for a bit longer and things get worse and then I have to face a much-worse situation mm. because if things don't work at Ibrox and the way they're talking at the moment about, you know, in the finance sense and that, although I think they'll find they'll get ways around it. If they don't, say something happened and they ended up going into administration again, surely goodness people would be turning and saying to this, how did that happen again in your watch? Yeah. You're the same. You're the same sort of people that were there two well, years ago. Yeah. What have you been doing in the last two years? I think particularly as well because you know the accusation of Rangers fans uh, after the, the club and administration uh, a couple of years ago was that what the SFA doing? Why are they allowing this to happen? Now, I notwithstanding, know. I know there are arguments about yeah, right. uh, what the Rangers fans' attitude might have been had the SFA taken any right. steps. But it's even worse now that, that there has been there has been a spotlight shown on what's going on at Ibrox. Right. There has been a spotlight shown in the fact that by and large the, the supporters have been treated like mugs over the past couple right. of years, right. and and yet the SFA are still letting these people basically trample over. But it's a Scottish institution, you know. That's that's what it looks like. There's a saying that I think it was Einstein. I didn't realise it was. It came from him, it sounded really philosophical and I thought he was more science. Mistakes, yeah. But the one it says, you can't fix a problem with the mind that created it. Yeah. Right? And the minds that created the problem at Rangers are still in positions mm. and I don't know whether they're capable of sort of turning around and saying because the impression you get is they're trying to fix the problem with recreating what caused the problem. Mm. You know, by re, re, you know, reintroducing, reinstating the two club kind of approach. I don't know that's going to happen because suddenly all the other Scottish clubs are saying, hang on a minute, we haven't gone bust, but actually crowds are up, there's competition, why should we be in a rush to reinstate that? So I think that there has to be a, a, a rethink at that very top level that sort of says, look, even if we could reinstate that, we don't know how long it will last. So is, it, is, is there any point in reinstating it? Mm. Is there any other model that we can go for? that maybe do it. And it goes back to that thing I was saying earlier, that's right, look at the distribution of wealth in the game, make sure that if you redistribute it a bit, that it doesn't just go to make giving the same players higher money to give the same level of performance, find ways of, you know, find ways of using it in such a way that it improves performance and improving performance throughout the game improves the competitiveness, you know. Champions League money coming in it was, is it 15 million a club gets for winning it? They're talking about getting up to 20 million or something mm-hmm. with the BT or whoever's yeah. coming in there. 
So if we're talking about Celtic getting 20, say they win the league for the next five years, which is quite likely. So they're going to get a 20 million quid coming in every year. Assuming they get the Champions Assuming League. Assuming they get, get to the Champions But you League. try getting that extra 5 million quid off of Celtic. That's well, the thing. You know, I mean, if they think, oh, we've got 5 million quid extra next year until because of this BT deal, they're human as well. They're, they're no wanting to part I, with that money. Absolutely. And that's that's a human dilemma, isn't it? In the sense of where do you realise that, wait a minute, the best thing I can do to help me is to help them. Yeah. You, you know, that's the point. That, 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 takes, that, that takes real leadership. That, well, that, that, I, I don't know whether that leadership well, exists in the game at all. I don't know if it exists either, yeah. because I, I don't know if we've reached that sort of level of development where we can yeah. suddenly turn and say, actually, the best thing for me is to look at... I mean, I, I've got that level of development at home. I know as long as my wife's happy, I'm happy. So yeah. I do everything to make sure she gets what she wants, and I'm happy. You I mean, know. you're not supposed to be in competition with her. But, but, well, no, you know, that's... Uh, well, I'm not sure for that. <laughs> <laughs> for talking space certainly um, but but yeah it, it, it does require that that, that, that sort of looking over and beyond things mm-hmm. and you know stepping, stepping stepping back for the immediate and I think one of the problems I've got is I tend to do that anyway I tend to be always been looking ahead each day goes it goes but always sort of saying well where is this taking me and starting to look, mm-hmm. at, look ahead of things strategy and stuff like that and I think that's what you should probably have is some strategical body set up that actually says where are we how do we get here? What can we do to stop it happening again? What assurances can we give fans that rules are tighter than what they were, that they take into account the facts that clubs will dive in the box mm-hmm. and we need a compliance officer, you know, the equivalent of a video review, to say that club's trying it on mm-hmm. and we're pulling them up for it. More rigorous licensing. Much more, that's what it boils down to, yeah. more rigorous licensing that just basically says those are the, those are the criteria. And they try and make sure that you've got a, a regime in place where it, that can't happen again. Well, there's that element, and quite how you do that, and again, I've got, I, I've got ideas on that, because one of the things I feel about, about you know, the SFA, what I thought they were, and what I've learned or not, and in fact, I was quite surprised to see Stuart Regan come out, and I think it was in a response to a TSFM blog, but he basically said, no, the SFA don't like govern the clubs or don't boss the clubs. We just advise. But the impression I was getting, and I think it was Alec Thompson in his blog, so I was surprised as well, was that, no, we're not in charge of it at all. And I thought, oh, what are you there for? I mean, I can quite accept they're on the national team, the coach and all the rest of it. But they also provide, and this is the thing, they provide a service to the leagues. They provide a disciplinary service. They provide a refereeing service. They provide a licensing service. But nobody treats that as a service. It's as if the SFA say, well, take the referees, we supply the service and we decide whether the service we are supplying is good enough. Yeah. So that doesn't happen in normal, normal business. If somebody comes in and fixes your central heating or puts in windows for you, know, puts in double glazing, mm-hmm. he doesn't come back and say, hey, yes, sir, everything's fine and dandy. You go and look and say, yeah, that is good, that's fine, yeah, I'm happy with that, and you sign it off. That's where the switch should be. The SFA, instead of being the masters of the game, which I thought they were, but with their own admission, they're coming out and saying they're not. And I think there needs to be some clear definitions. That's a lack of leadership as well, well isn't it? I think that. there has to be some clear definitions of the roles. Because when I was actually trying to work out who had a say and things like that, and I was looking you know, through the through rules and the articles of the SFA and the SPFL, now you can represent um, you know, a sort of organisation chart and who's in charge and that usually be a pyramid or some, some graph. Mm-hmm. You know, the Mobius strip, that's what you would use to represent the organisational status between the SFA and the leagues. Mm-hmm. 
So my scale electrics looked like my brother was uh, finished with. That's exactly right. That's a good one. It's exactly right. It'd be the case. But it's good, it comes down to what you're saying about the commercial imperative as well, because the, because the commercial imperative did win out. I mean, I think Sporting Integrity might have won out by proxy, if you like. Aye. But the real reason that the clubs backed down was in the face of the fears about season tickets. And, and that's true, but you see, that's the point is that the commercial integrity absolutely depends on sporting integrity. Yeah. It was the fact that sporting integrity was under attack yeah. that made people say, I'm not paying money to go and watch that if it's, you know, if it's, if it's it depends on who's the biggest club and the amount yeah. of money that's going to be lost to the game. I'm not going to put my money on. So that's the, that's the other thing, that you're actually protecting the commercial worth of the game by protecting the sporting integrity argument. In the long term, perhaps even medium term, but it's, it's short termism okay. does tend well, to rule in football. But, but there again, that, you know, that's one of the problems is that people only look at the, what's immediately in front and yeah. what's happening there instead of stepping back and sort of saying, right, where are we going to go? What do we need to do in the short term? And how do we, you know, how do we need to get past that? How do we, need, you know, set, set things up in such a way? Not just in terms of beefing up the rules, make sure it doesn't happen again. But what are we actually going to do to actually encourage development in the game, mm-hmm. encourage clubs in the way in the way forward? And I think the debate that should be taking place is that means league money circulation. It, to me, what differs that from sharing the gate money more is, yeah. is that I actually don't think that Celtic. If Celtic are getting 15 million for you're coming in through the gates for that, and they're getting an extra 5 million, okay, it's Celtic employees and the rest of the players might say, great, that's enough 5 million for us. But if they're being, maybe not even altruistic, but if they're protecting themselves, be protecting the industry that they earn their living in, yeah. and say 3 million of that or 5 million of that, not actually coming to us, but going into a pot. And there's a, a wee governing body or whatever, or a separate group that sort of say that money decide how that money will be distributed for the development of the professional game in Scotland. Mm-hmm. But what it has to, but and the, the rules they can make up, and the rules have to be that, that it doesn't actually just go as a city inflate, you know, players' wages without improving the standard. It will be to improve the standard, so improve the standard of governance within the clubs. Mm-hmm. You know, improve the standard of coaching within the clubs, um, improving the the, uh, the so, r- so ring fencing the money, in other words, for specific uh, ring, ring fencing that rings, yeah. sort of couple of bob to you know to, to, to do that. <clears throat> and so what that does is that that then and what it does as well is it might take some of the fear away for the clubs of what happens if I get relegated. Some mm-hmm. of that money you might see well, as they do in England, we'll put some of it as a wee parachute. So that means that clubs know that if they get relegated, it doesn't mean the end of them are, well, you know, they're, they're yeah. going to dis, you know, diminish to such an extent. They're going to say, well, we'll go down and there's a couple of balls there that'll maybe help us get back next season. So that might encourage the clubs at the bottom then not to play with so much fear. You might end up with a bit more open football because it becomes enjoyable. The fear that Gordon Strachan says it drives the game isn't a bad thing. But it can also it, it can affect the entertainment value of the yeah. game as well, you know. So it's, it's just a matter of sort of stepping back and really saying, what are we about here? What are we actually try to achieve? What's the game about? Well, if we do, I mean, if if we were able to do that, if we were able to get that argument across to people, to the, the argument that there was a greater need for distribution of the, of the money in the game, yeah. if there was a, a compelling case to be made, which people were convinced of about the governance of the game, yeah. Is there any aspect of this that's looking backwards? For instance, that we know there is a consensus, but certainly not amongst Rangers supporters again, but, but within uh, probably every other sport, every other club in the country, that Rangers have been way, way off base and, yeah. uh, and, and no 
playing the game at all over the past 10 years or possibly more. Do they need to be punished? Is that a prerequisite before oh, moving forward? I know. It was a quality of mercy is no strained. I'm actually beginning to come out of the school. I thought that they've punished themselves enough. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't necessarily. Well, as we talked about the fact, I mean, it's been a two year death or illness. Aye, aye, that's that's aye, horrendous. Aye. It is, I mean, whoever did it, had a sick relative, you know, yeah. as long as that, then it, it does, does, does fall into that, into that category. And I, I begin to move, move towards that. But there's another reason why I move towards that as well. Is I think, again, going back to the fear, I think that one of the things that stops us having a real honest look at ourselves is the fear of what the reaction will be to what that reveals. Yeah. And that's because the fear of, if it reveals something that wasn't right, we're going to get punished. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like, almost like offering a pardon to somebody and saying, look, if you come clean, you're not going to get what you deserve. And that's the point, and that's where, I don't want to bring the word into it, but it's written. That's where forgiveness comes into it, and that's why it comes into it. Because it's only when you get to that point where you're like, there's an acceptance on one side that I actually, we did really cock that up, something awful. And we know that we cocked it up, and we don't want to go through that again. Do you think if, then, if Rangers survive that this latest crisis, and by aye. the time this blog is published, it's very possible that, <laughs> that, uh, that there'll be a result in that one way or the other. Do you think it's possible that that what happened at Ibrox with the EBTs, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of regime, that kind of acquisitiveness, yeah. do you think that that's it's possible for that to happen again? Um, I don't think it would happen again. I'd like to be assured that we've put steps in place to make sure that it can't happen again. Mm-hmm. Right? But there's you know, no sign of that happening. No, and that, that's what bothers me, the deterrence value. Because if you don't do that, there is a fear, and I've seen it expressed. Oh, they'll be back in two, three years' time. We'll be back to the same old carry on, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. But they, they, they wouldn't have been had the FTT verdict been known a year earlier. Oh, yeah. Would they have gone out of business? No, because I think they. I think if they had known that that, that the threat of that extra bill that would have made their, their that, that would have made their debt position much more manageable. Yeah. I was talking to a director of an English Premiership team last week and he told me that if Wallace, who's now in charge of Rangers, uh, had he been in charge in the last maybe three years of the David Murray regime, that Rangers just wouldn't have been liquidated. They would never have been in administration because there would have been, he would have been the sort of guy who would have said, look, stop this madness, let's put some money aside to make some contingency for it. The decisions, the decisions that were made, and to be fair, when the decisions were made in 2007 and eight, when Walter Smith arrived mm-hmm. to spend the money that they spent, the tax bill was on the horizon, right? They knew they either had it or they knew it was on its way at that point. What they didn't know, and whenever it was, was, was it June? So it was June, that would be August 2008. What they didn't know in August 2008 when they were spending the rest of the money, they, 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 they brought a fair bit of money in by selling Quellar and play, players like that. Mm-hmm. But the um, but they were spending as well. Yeah. Had they not, had they what they brought in, they kept and they put that as a contingency against the tax bill, which would have more <coughs> or less covered that twenty four million at that time. If they'd done that and then just settled for a team, according to what they could afford, they would certainly have been in business. What they didn't recognise was, I didn't, none of us knew them. Knew them was was the Bank of Scotland and the Royal Bank of Scotland going belly up. Yeah. That's what ki- that's what killed it because that's where the money supply but, that was, but, that's where the money was coming from. But wasn't it also wasn't it also the, the the case that David Murray, uh, who had been running Rangers 
apparently successful right. for, for so long. Yeah. It's basically Rangers were his vanity project. And the, and the, the, even although he knew that the writing was on the wall right. as far as the club was concerned, the expenditure was way, yeah. way in excess yeah. of the money they were bringing in, right. the, that last couple of years when somebody who had a temper at hand mm-hmm. and a tiller yeah. would, have been, would have been making plans for the contingency that the, the tax was going to come. Yeah. But Murray's vanity was... was I've certainly have heard people say this, and, right. I, and I mean people inside the game, right. that Murray's vanity was such that he wouldn't have allowed it. Now, I know that other people say, uh, you know, the, the Rangers fans put that pressure on him, but... Most people who know Murray would say that he really wouldn't have given uh, two hoots what the fans thought if he had wanted to do something his way. It yeah. would have been his way and yeah. know the fans' way. Yeah. He raised that expectation didn't, himself, they, didn't they he? They didn't realise that where it was coming from and in fact it wasn't... Aye. You know, it wasn't earned money as such. Yeah, Rangers supporters in the, no, the mid eighties. No, they, 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 no. they weren't putting pressure on people to go and spend half a million quid in players. That expectation was created, yeah, created by money. by David Holmes and then aye, subsequently aye, by by Murray. I know. Oh, I mean, there's, there's definitely the, the, the fact that it was created and it was sustained because the banks were were less than uh, rigorous in, in mm-hmm. the rules they were applying and in, 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 in how they were lending it. Nearly killed um, Celtic. Well, that's just that, that's the other side. Aberdeen, um, Hearts, is, I mean, United. It, it, it had that detrimental effect in lots of other Scottish yeah. clubs then because they were all, all trying to, try to catch yeah. up and with, with, with something that, that they couldn't and and had f- fair play been in play way back then then there'd been questions asked hang on a minute you're spending more than you're earning you can pull it back and through hard experience it's a serious cultural rift almost from the 80s where the clubs they just spent the money they had and the clubs weren't running big overdrafts. They weren't. They didn't have big long term debt. And like maybe for capital projects, they might have had, but they never had debt, real significant amounts of debt. And then all of a sudden, it becomes the norm. Well, actually, I, I, I don't know the answer to that one. I wonder if it was a generational thing. But as I grew up, it was always children you know, of Thatcher. Or it was. But it was I. It's maybe that. But. But it, it could have been that kind of thing. So football really a, a kind of microcosm of what was going on in the banks. It was only it was only a reflection. It's almost, yeah. if you like, that was a consequence of the, the, the banks the, the deciding that they were going to turn on the tap, you know. And when Smith came out that October into 11 or 210, whatever it was, and says, the bank's running the club. I mm. thought, oh, that's it. It's hitting the fan. And that's when, as I say, you started to look at what was happening in the park. And they, 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 they have to win this league. You know. But the message is, like, okay, what's happened is happened. Oh. Um, and that, that basically we have to look forward. We don't have to start looking at, at pointing fingers of blame, yeah. but just fixing things they, that, that have gone wrong. And, and, and I know that you've that there are some other issues which we're not talking about tonight, yeah. that uh, some, uh, some stuff that you've got that you want to try and put a wee bit of pressure on the authorities Aye. about. And, and, you know, and if you don't like any of them, fine, because to be fair, it's quite complicated and it's something Aye. that's going Aye. to be dealt Aye. with Aye. In, in a written blog. I think, put it this way, getting back, what I think is, is that I've seen sometimes the subject coming up, not in the blog the other day, they're talking about forgiveness, and I come in with my usual wee spiel on, on forgiveness, just found it a fascinating subject to, to read up on. Um, and folk talking about truth and reconciliation. But to get a reconciliation, you have to get at the truth. I think there's a point in people's life when they take responsibility. And I don't think people are taking responsibility here. I think when you blame everybody else... It's a sign of immaturity. It's, it, it, it's an unwillingness to take responsibility. And I don't think in that sense that there is one person to blame. We're all to blame in some way or other. Mm-hmm. But I don't like the use of the word blame because I don't think people really go out to do their own thing willingly. I think they go out, to do, they, they go out telling themselves what they're doing is right. I think the guys who are on the blog, I think that their main aim 
is to try and bring people together a wee bit. The one thing that we pretty much achieved with, with the Scottish Football Monitor, a fairly sort of like cross-partisan aye, group aye, of people aye, who yeah. who listen to each other, yeah. who find that people's minds can be changed in arguments and uh, debate quite aye, a lot. Uh, and there are no, there, there's some entrenched positions, of course. But the one thing that we're really struggling hard to do is, is to get Rangers fans more engaged Absolutely. in it. Absolutely. How do you think that it's possible to do that? I, I don't know that it is, to be honest. Is there a case for making the licensing authority uh, independent? Well, getting back to my other hobby horse of it being a service, licensing should become a service, refereeing should become a service, and a professional service. Yeah. You should actually encourage and say, you you provide, you recruit and train the referees, uh-huh. and we'll hire them off you, and we'll 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 mark them. We'll have we'll get our own ex-referees to mark them for us that's the leagues will do that because mm-hmm. the leagues are the customers and we will decide whether they're up to standard or not and if they're not up to standard we will talk to you about how we bring them up to standard or we don't use them anymore and here's the point see if there's not enough of them up to standard we'll get them from elsewhere mm. you, you immediately come away from oh it's got to be Scottish referees are you saying Scottish referees are biased no we're not saying they're biased whether they're saying they're good enough or they're not good enough and that's the only that's the only thing that should apply but because we're entrenched in this, we've only got to you know, drink for that one trough. It's a really narrow demographic as well that well, the, re- the referees are drawn from. You know, that, 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 well. that's, that's something yeah, that I've always I, thought was, was, was really ex- interesting. Ex- exactly, you've got a narrow demographic, so you're not going to get, you know, the, if you get 20 million to choose for, you've got a better chance of getting the best if you've only got 5 million to yeah. choose for, right? Mm. So you immediately say, well, we can take the referees fair, and we did that during the referees' strike. Mm-hmm. Right now, the referees that are here maybe be saying, oh, "I'm threatened by that," but no, you say, "No, it's a professional service. You reach that standard, and you will get paid according to that standard. Mm-hmm. And some of the money to pay that standard can maybe come a bit for that pot I was talking about that you keep aside for growth in the game. So, refereeing becomes a service. Split it, the SFA recruit and train, and if you like, provide. Mm-hmm. But the leagues mark." And the leagues are the ones that, and yeah. that. but it's a professional set. And the aim is, is to be a professional set, as it is, is in England. That doesn't mean to say you're going to get a infallible referees because they're human, and you're not going to get that. And I've seen some terrible decisions with English referees. It'll take that element away from it altogether. Yeah, and that wouldn't be a bad thing for Scottish football yeah. if you remove that element from it. The the disciplinary service. One thing. See, that's the, that, that's an age thing as well. I, I know when I was a kid. I was always that the referees are biased. The referees are biased, and and it's odd because the older I get, it just because what what a tiresome way to have to live your life, just thinking that everybody's against you all the time, and it becomes it becomes very wearing. And I know that younger guys listening to this will think, "Oh no, what's he talking about?" But but really, I mean, as a Celtic fan, it's it's not as if we've been denied. A lot of success. There, there might have been times where no, ref- referees have have, uh, have made mistakes that have done his out of things in the past. Uh, but but by and large, I mean my, my club's done okay. So exactly, you know. and, it, and that's the point. If you like, in fairness to my two ranks that that we grew up with, where I actually could could save the youngsters that I to at least take away that element. Yeah. That, 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 that might be causing it. I think it'd be good for the game. I think it'd be good for the referees. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it removes and it also removes the points of influence as well. You know, because when you looked at what was happening out back there, you could see there was definite points of influence. And whether, in fact, influence was being applied mm-hmm. is not the point. Is nobody should have been in the position of being accused of being applying influence or having yeah. the ability to apply it. 
And that's... But that, there's an arrogance with the authorities in that, isn't there? Yes. It, it, it's like we don't have to answer to anybody because... No we, accountability. It's, because the integrity of our, our people, you know, exactly. everything is... is, is well, be, is you see, crushed. that's been shot. Yeah. That's gone. Absolutely. That's been shot. You know, I mean, we know that the integrity isn't, you know, is, is not something you get by just putting on the blazer or putting well, on the shirt. we've got a self-confessed conflicted president of the oh. SFA at the moment. I mean, I know you, we don't want to go too much into that uh, because the, there are other things on, on the go with that at the right. moment as well. But but the thing is, what we have is somebody who's been asked as somebody who was heavily conflicted by, yes. by the general right. secretary right. Or, right. The, the, right. or the chief executive right. of the SFA. Right. I, I find an incredible arrogance that that nobody has done anything, even if if the guy's not been removed. I find it incredible that nobody's tried to say, See, no, but wait a wee minute, here's here's the situation. Right. Nobody's, it's just been, no, 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 our that, guy's fine. That's yeah. the point. I think that's one of the key things, and that's one of the reasons why the debate carries on yeah. as well. It's one of the, going back to about moving on, it's definitely a blockage to moving on. Mm-hmm. Is that you've got that, the, you know, that you, you get the end of your Campbell logo, he's the man, he's there. We know he was at Rangers when they first used EBTs. Mm-hmm. I've seen letters that he's signed where he's you know signed up, you know, he's actually authorised the first one. He was on the policy group that decided that's the way they were going to go. Do we know do we know this? Is, is this a common knowledge thing? Well, it, it, well put it this way, if you believe that the, the, the Charlotte Fakes documentation mm-hmm. is a is not is, is not to what's what forgeries then I don't think anybody's ever said they were there's a stuff there with dates on it, with mm-hmm. names on it that actually says that's the case. And the same man, when he was asked EBTs, never made any reference to the earlier types of EBTs that were irregular. He just stuck to the later ones because that was the context everybody was looking at. The distinction between the very early ones and the later ones was never quite appreciated. And that's something that needs to be re-examined again, I think. But the problem with re-examining it goes back to this thing that it looks as if we're having a go at Rangers. And honest to God, I'm no bothered about that. I just want a game to watch where everybody feels we're all playing in the same park to the same rules Mm -hmm. under the same governorship. Do you think it'll happen? Because I I think my mates that are Ranger supporters want that. But my my kids and the teams that they played was a mix. The guys that stand in the touchline, you know, Cammy's a Rangers guy. And we talk away and we kid them at the games and the rest of it. And there's none of that crap that you... You, it, it finds its way there because that is in people, but it's not in everybody. Mm-hmm. And I firmly believe that you know there's 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 many many more decent human beings about than there are indecent human beings. And some of them support Rangers, and some of them support Celtic. You don't become different just because you decide to affiliate yourself to one or one or the other. But but that has and but I think again there is a process there. I was like about that grief thing about that beginning to become to be realised that we're actually we are interdependent we are in it together mm-hmm. and we either find ways to go in with each other and agree on what makes sense and I think what makes sense is having a good look at how we got here try to do things to put it right try to do things to restore trust in the game try to restore trust in each other because at the moment it's absolutely riven me mistrust right through the game I was at meeting a Celtic last night mistrust there as well Trust bridges to be built all over Scottish football, and I see very little signs that anybody actually want to take the lead and say, "This is a real problem. We have to do something about it." Well, hopefully we can. Aldi, thanks for coming in. Cheers. Thank you for downloading the Scottish Football Monitor podcast. If you like the TSFM podcast, please visit our website at www.tsfm.org.uk. 
and participate in the discussion on our great love, Scottish football. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. <laughs>